morning, Travis. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter one this morning. Uh, As you turn there, I just entrust that you had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. I know that the frogs did. And I also know that because it's been so long since we've been able to say this, the Aggies did too. And I just figured I should give you a bone there. Um, As you turn to Philippians chapter one, I want to thank Pastor Drew for the opportunity uh, to be with you this morning as he is getting to spend time uh, with family. Philippians chapter one, we're gonna be looking at verses three through 11 this morning. I invite you to follow along as I read aloud from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. The word of the Lord says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you and I were to pause and we were just to take a moment to read Philippians from cover to cover, it would probably take us about 15 to 20 minutes. And one of the things that you and I would quickly see is that a major theme of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is joy. And case in point, what we just read, even just that short excerpt, what we just read, you can hear Paul's excitement and passion for this church. Um, which is bizarre to think about because Paul, a little bit of backstory here, we know that prior to believing in Jesus, Paul hated and despised Jesus. Paul persecuted Christians. Paul oversaw the execution of Christians, but God out of his love and grace called Paul unto himself and he called him to be a servant of Christ Jesus. And So now we're at this place in Paul's life where where Paul, those whom he used to execute, he now with such intensity seeks to equip and encourage. Those that he used to uh, persecute, he now seeks to protect. He used to despise the gospel and now he rejoices in it. This is the guy that when you and I are in our relationships with friends or family, this is the guy that you look at and you go, there's no way, there's no way that this person can come to faith in Jesus. But then there's actually the good news of Jesus and that he's Jesus and you're not, right? And then Jesus does what only Jesus can do and that he takes dead things and he makes them alive. And he did that, he did such a thing, a profound transformation in Paul's life to the degree that Paul is now passionately loves Jesus and he's, he's intensely finding joy amongst God's people. And the question worth asking is this, where does this joy come from and what is its context? 
Where does this joy come from and what is its context? In other words, um, what's the ultimate source of joy and how is it best experienced? How is it best lived out? Now, this is a question that's constantly asked by the world in which you and I live. Um, because joy, and the reason for that is because joy just has a sense of purpose to it. It has a sense of satisfaction, pleasure, fulfillment that, that is embedded deep within all of mankind. We long for pleasure. We long for fulfillment. We long for satisfaction. We look for these things in all kinds of areas. For some of us, our source of joy is often found in our performance. For some of us in the room, it may be that you're like, you crave that 4.0. That 4.0 is like your identity. For some of you, it's like craving and longing to climb the, the, to the top of the corporate ladder. Uh, or, or for some of us, if we're being honest, for some of us, it's our perceived status. It's our perceived status. This is where we get really good at like leveraging social media. Uh, and, and, and we use it as a disguise, as a disguised form of like validation, a form of major validation for our lives. Um, for some, maybe it's accumulating material possessions. There's nothing inherently wrong with these things. There's nothing in, inherently within these things that are wrong. You know, we 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 want to see, uh, you know, we want to see you perform well. We want to see, you know, so the fact that social media can be good. We like need some believers and followers of Jesus to like show that this can be of God and used as a platform for this gospel. These can be good things, but they make a terrible God. They're they're a faulty source of fulfillment. Why? Well, you and I we know this truth because. They're not eternal. They're just temporary at best. And while there's an endless amount of things that attempt to fulfill us, there's only one thing that doesn't fail us. Only one. As followers of Jesus, we're, we're certain of this truth, yet at times we're forgetful of this truth. And that is this, that ultimate joy comes from Christ and it's lived out, it's best experienced amongst community. We have this head knowledge, you and I, we've got this down. Like we have this head knowledge that says Christianity is lived out in the context of community. Check, got it, we can move forward. But for the most part, you know, we, we love this idea of community. Because who actually enjoys, who actually enjoys the idea of loneliness? It's embedded in your DNA to, to, to want the opposite of loneliness, to crave companionship, to crave the living in community and to crave relational components of your life. And yet here we are, you know, for the most part, we love the idea of community, but what happens? What happens when community gets what I'm gonna call like just healthily uncomfortable? A few examples of what I mean by healthily uncomfortable. Um, a lot of times we want community without confession, okay? A lot of times you and I, we want to embrace community. We love the idea of community. Uh, and, but a lot of times we want to embrace community without confession, Con confessing sin, you know, to an appropriate audience. That is what I call healthily uncomfortable. Or sometimes you and I, we, sometimes we get really good at this. Sometimes you and I, we want, to, we want to keep distance so that you and I can spare depth, Right? Sometimes we wanna keep distance so we can spare depth. Here's what that looks like. You know, I want, I want you to know my name and I wanna know your name, but I don't want anyone in the church to know anything about my life. That's what that looks like. In other words, we, we want friends, but being surface level is oftentimes the most desired 
simply because it's the, what's most comfortable. And if you're like me, we oftentimes forget our communal need for encouragement, for equipping, for teaching, and at times gentle correction and just living life together. And what Paul makes so clear in our text this morning is that we need Jesus and we need us. We need Jesus and we need us. We need the greatest gift, that being Jesus and his gospel. We need his sinless life, his sacrificial death and his miraculous resurrection. We don't have life without that gift. And while living out this good news, we also need the gift of us. Reason being, I can't look like Christ without you. Paul told the Ephesians, he told the Ephesians in his letter to them, he said, hey, I'm gonna give you some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be, do the work of the evangelists, some to be shepherds, and some to be teachers. Uh, God took his gifts, he scattered them among us. He scattered them among us for the building up of the body, all for the glory of Christ, who is the head of the body. What does that look like? It means that we need each other. In order for me to fully look like Jesus, I need a brother, I need a sister. I need you to help me look more like Jesus Christ. You need the person next to you to look more like Jesus Christ. And the person that will scare me the most, and if we're being honest, this is all of us in various seasons of life. It's the person that is intentional about creating loneliness. It's the person that's intentional about creating distance. This is a dangerous place to be. Now, there are certainly times in relationships where distance and things like that are needed. There, there's certainly that caveat to this. But at the same time, because of the way we're wired, because of the embedded nature that exists within us, we long to exist, but not only exist in community, but to thrive in community. And Paul wants to make very clear what this looks like. It means that we need each other in order to share the good news of Jesus amidst our watching world, we need each other. Paul certainly understands this truth because in our text today, we see Paul model and unpack to us what I'm just gonna call four practical ways to create gospel-centered community. Just four practical ways to create, to cultivate, to nurture gospel-centered community. For proof of this, let's look at verse three and four with me. Verse three and four just simply says this. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. So number one, we pray for one another with gratitude. You wanna know the mark of a healthy gospel centered community? It's when you're in that circle and you find yourself just faithfully praying for each other and finding gratitude in your heart for one another. If you wanna create gospel-centered community, let it begin with faithful prayer for one another. We see Paul do this like throughout his letters. I think it was like in every letter, except for like Galatians, cause they're like jacking with the gospel a little bit. But like we see where he writes them and expresses gratitude towards them. And he's like committed to like praying for them. And if we, you know, we're, we're looking at this and I, I'm not gonna lie to you, this is a bit perplexing because, um, this may come as a shock to you, but you know, people are messy. And I know that may be hard for you to believe, but just take it as a word of faith, like pe even people in the church. And that's tough, I know, but it's reality. And you see in Paul's letters where he's like writing, even to the like church at Corinth, where he's just like, you know, he, he's saying things like this. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God uh, that was given to you in Christ Jesus. This is Corinth. Like these are the guys that are over there suing the sandals off of each other amongst other issues that they've got going on. And Paul is just like, I long for you. I love you. I pray for you. I, I just want to get this gospel to you. You're worth it. Like he's just so full of encouragement and so full of gratitude for them about how he's like getting to partner with them and be on 
on mission with them. And this is like Corinth. And if you read Philippians cover to cover, you can see that they're not without blemish either. They have divisions. There's some drama in the house. Yet for Paul, the conflict, the circumstance does not crush gratitude. You know, here's, here's the deal. Um, you know, it's, it's holiday season and you're, you're, you're getting around dinner tables and you're getting around friends and family that you, maybe you don't see year round. And, and this can be a challenging time for so many people. For so many people, it's a season of just extreme joy. And for some, it's just a mixture of maybe joy and hardship. And we get around people sometimes that, I don't know about you, but this is, I struggle with this and I, 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 I need Jesus' grace in my life um, to love people. Uh, of, of all kinds. And um, one of the hardest people to love is like, if you're the person that's like the hypercritical person, right? Like, I don't know, I mean, some of you are already, it's like a Rolodex going through your mind of who you sit across at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Don't say their name out loud. But like, there's just some of us that just like, the, some people are just a challenge, sometimes present hardship to be around. And um, for Paul, here's his heart. The, for the advancement of the gospel. Here's his longing for the good news of Jesus Christ to be heard by every here, to be, to be felt by every person, to be known by every, all of mankind. And yet, if anyone understands the messiness of people while paralleling the advancement of the gospel, it's Paul. And when we look at this, you know, going back to that hypercritical person, if you're that hypercritical person, always focusing on what's wrong, you're probably not gonna be a grateful person. And here's what will help. Here's what will help. Like, I need this, like sitting across the table, like here's what will help. Don't look for perfection in others before showing gratitude. Don't look for perfection in others before showing gratitude. Rather, look for evidences of God's grace in their life. Look for evidences of God's grace in their life. Hey, even in the midst of messiness, the drama of life, let's just do what Paul is modeling for us here and to be a people that's full of faithful, fervent prayer for one another. Be a small group. Be, you go be the one that's intentional in your small group or your community group that is faithfully, fervently praying for one another, why? Paul highlights in verse five, because it's, we, it's this fact that we work better together. We are a team. In Christianity, there's an us and we need us. Look at me in verse five. I'm grateful for you. I'm praying for you, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So for the second point, we're just gonna say we partner together in and for the gospel. We partner together in and for the gospel. Simply put, a gospel-centered community is on mission together. The, the church at Philippi meant so much to Paul. They've, they've been supporters of his since day one because about 10 years or 11 years prior to writing this letter, Paul links up with Timothy. They enter into the city of Philippi and you can to see this story, they help plant this church. It unfolds in Acts 16. This is the first established church in the continent of Europe. And here's Paul and Timothy uh, in Philippi and they come across what appears to be like a, 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 down by the river, a small, a small women's prayer group and he, like, he, they come across this group and, they, and they, the, the scripture says in Acts 16 that when Paul shares the Lord, the scripture says, opens up the heart of a, of a lady named Lydia. 
And he just, he just opens up her heart to what Paul was saying. She, he shares the gospel. She trusts in Jesus. She, he, and then goes on to like host this church within her home. Paul and Philippi are close because they share this truth that people are the mission. They're so close knit. They're so tight. They're so together. The glue of this community is found in not only friendship, but being faithful to the mission. And the mission is hard because people are messy. And yet here's Paul like linking up with, you know, his, 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 with, with all of his companions and, and, and co-laborers. And he's just like, hey, you know, we're gonna strive together to make this gospel known. You're gonna, we're gonna partner together. And, 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 and he just, even in the midst of Philippi, they're laboring together for this endeavor to help those that are far from God so that they can know Christ. And for proof of this, verse five, that, that word partnership in the Greek, it's that word that a lot of us are familiar with. It's that word koinonia. You and I, we oftentimes, we look at that word and we go fellowship, right? Like fellowship, that's what, that's what this is. Fellowship at its very root, the root word of koinonia is koine. We get our English word common from that. Uh, we, it, it means common. It means like uh, the, the very thing that you and I have in common as believers is not the fact that you wear Toms because I'm not wearing Toms. Um, it's not the fact that um, you have that certain kind of brand and it, I don't. And it's not any, anything to do with our common bond as followers of Jesus Christ. That we're, our common bond is the Holy Spirit that we share the Holy Spirit, the God of the living, this universe. He, in, he dwells himself in us through the Holy Spirit. He leads and he guides us. We walk in step with King Jesus. That is what we have in common. And aren't you glad that that's what we have in common and that it's not literally everything else that we have in common? In the context of Philippians, the word partnership refers to gospel-centered friendship, absolutely, as well as shared mission of the gospel. You know, embedded in the good news of Jesus is this truth. And I'm just gonna say this in the most Texan way that I know how to say this. We are a partnered up, sent out people. We're to be in a tight-knit circle, holding hands, praying fast. In a gospel-centered community, the circle can't only face in when the mission has us going out. Every year, um, we have a new uh, college leadership team that forms. And towards the beginning of the year, one of the things that I always like to do is show this illustration where we'll get in a circle and I have everybody in a circle, and everybody's holding hands. And it's a picture of a community group. And I tell them like, this is what, you know, Jesus did with his 12, with his disciples. And this is what you're gonna do with the people that, you know, he brings along your path. And you're gonna get really close to them. You're gonna love them. You're gonna, with, with all out abandonment, you're gonna love them. Your agenda is to love God by loving people. That's your agenda. And all you're gonna do is just get close to them. You're gonna befriend them. You're gonna be real with them. You're gonna be genuine in your relationships. The only thing is in this circle, the only thing that the gospel says in, in accordance to yes, being connected, yes, holding hands, yes, knowing each other's needs, knowing the highs and the lows. The only thing is in this circle, it doesn't face in, it faces out. It faces out. Like the gospel at, at its very core, of the good news of Jesus Christ. He left heaven, he left perfection to face out, to come across people like me and to people like you and to make this gospel known, he faced outward. We're to be in this tight knit circle. 
We're to hold hands. We're to, we're to be close. We're to enjoy each other's company. But a question that's worth asking is this. Where do our non-believing friends get to see your love for one another? Where do our non-believing friends get to see your love for one another? And I'll just go down this rabbit trail real fast. Some of you are like probably thinking to me, yeah, hey bro, our, our group, it's like uh, not for every, like the whole world. Like we kind of like our group, the size of our group. Ain't no problem with that. You, I, I got no beef with you, okay? But here's the deal. This group needs to find ways that maybe not on your weekly gathering, but maybe outside of that weekly gathering, and you're like, yeah, you're clearly the single guy that's not married and has kids, whatever. But here's the deal. You need to see this truth that gospel-centered groups, they don't just face inward, they're full of attentiveness to those that are on the outside of the group. We want to make room for those that are far from God. And so in what areas, I have to ask myself this question all the time, in what areas are you making space for those that are far from God to see the love of God amongst you and those that are in your community. Not only do we need this type of partnership that's sent, but we need to have a hopeful anticipation for one another. Look with me at verse six. I am sure of this, the text says. Watch this anticipation, watch this hope that he who began a good work in you We'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Number three, we have an anticipation. We have, an, we have a hope for one another. Meaning we anticipate God's work being fulfilled in our lives. Now Paul wants us to be confident in the unstoppable grace of Jesus. We are to be a confident people knowing that the good work that he started in you, he will both continue it and complete it. And while anticipating God's completed work in our lives, look at verse seven and eight, Paul points out that we're to have a sincere affection for one another. Verse seven and eight says this, it is, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace, both imprisonment and the defense confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. We're to have a sincere affection for one another. And when you hear Paul say like, for God is my witness, you can just feel like the weight and the passion that's behind this statement and the love that he has for his church. Something we see in Paul, life is so much more meaningful. Life is so much more meaningful when we practice a sincere love rather than a passive tolerance. And I know that passive tolerance is so much easier to get by with. It's actually at times, maybe even more comforting. But here's Paul just getting his hands dirty with people that are like, like got drama going on and he gets close to them and he mirrors this gospel to them. Paul had a sincere affection for his team. He's not knocking his team. He's like, he's like at every moment, he's looking to encourage and equip and build up his, his team. Your small group, your community group, it's in need of that kind of encouragement. I mean, the church at Philippi knew there's opposition to the gospel, hence Paul's imprisonment. Paul's writing this, he's penning this thing from Roman prison and following uh, Jesus is hard. 
And yet they're committed to affectionately just share in the struggle of making this gospel known. It's a sincere affection. And this is a point that I don't want us to miss at all because this is oftentimes the, the buzzword of community. It, 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 it's, it just hits with a lot of people. This is one of our favorite words, especially of our generation. Like we love this word, but one of the things that we need to see and, and just that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis is simply this. It is a sincere affection. There is a sincere affection in this community, but it's, 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 it's not just emotionalism. It's not just something that feels good. Rather, it's a biblically informed passion for one another. It's a biblically informed affection for one another. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. Rather, it's an infection. Verse eight says, it's an affection that comes from Jesus. He defines affection. Jesus defines compassion. Anytime you think about Jesus and affection, we immediately think about action. And this is a sincere affection that leads Paul to a very specific action that we see in verses nine through 11. This is our practice amongst one another. We see this prayer in verse nine through 11. And he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is Paul's prayer for a continued profound transformation that's only found and only capable of by Jesus and this gospel. And he longs for this continued transformation amongst this church. Amidst your life and mine, we're to long for these qualities that are mentioned in verse 11, where it just simply says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is the fruit of the spirit. This is you being filled and continuously growing, not, not, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but finding yourself in community that's helping you and you helping them, aiming to equip them, aiming to encourage them to grow in these fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like we long to spur each other on with these things. This happens when we remember our ultimate source of joy is not found within anything that has been created, but rather it is found in the one who created all good things, Jesus Christ. This happens when we remember our ultimate source of joy is discovered in Christ and we see this truth that it's displayed amongst its community. This joy is a shared joy. And you and I have the honor of getting to experience this and living it out amongst each other. So what do we do? We do exactly what Paul models for us. We pray with gratitude for one another. We partner together for the gospel. We have an anticipation, we have a hope for one another. And we have a sincere affection a biblically informed passion for one another. It's not that I just want to hang out with you as much as that is the case and that is good and that is of God and there ain't one thing wrong with that. But paralleling the me and you hanging out together, the you and you and the person next to you hanging out together right next to that is being sent out together. Because Jesus is a God of action. Jesus is ascending God. He puts forth 
out, he puts us out amidst a people that are far from God and we together in community, we pray that we get to partner together. We have affection for each other. We pray together and we, we partner together and we, and we team up together and we go out together on this mission amongst the messy people, the messiest of all, maybe us. But yet with this grace and with this joy-filled gratitude, we encounter each other as co-laborers in this gospel and we seek to just speak life to each other. We just speak to, we just seek to be encouraging to one another and to constantly remind ourselves of this gospel. May these be the things that model our community. May these be the things that continue to grow amongst us right here at Travis Avenue. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the fact that you died for our sins. You lived that sinless life and you rose from the grave. And in you, we have joy, the ultimate source of joy. God, we thank you for the fact that you, it's our, your source of being our joy that is immovable, unshakable. It, nothing messes with this joy because you're unchanging. Father, we thank you for that truth. And Lord, as we encounter a season that varies in nature for all of us, Lord, we're asking that you would see us through it, that you would walk us through it, that we would be together in this, that we would be encouraging one another, intentionally encouraging one another, intentionally praying for one another, intentionally partnering one another, intentionally being affectionate for one another. Because Jesus, we wanna marry you in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.